electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, one huge story in focus. The deal is back on. Elon Musk has agreed to buy Twitter, again, if the world's richest man has enough cash. CNBC's wealth reporter Robert Frank. He has right now $27 billion of the $33 billion he needs. So that's $6 billion short. And if he succeeds, how's he going to actually do the job? Musk biographer Walter Isaacson. He is every day at meetings about products at SpaceX, Boring Company, Neuralink, and Tesla. And I don't quite know how he's going to add more hours to the day. And what Musk is planning for the whole platform once he gets it. I think he's got a really great vision for what Twitter can be. It's Wednesday, October 5th. 2022. And Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. I'm sure you've heard the news by now. If you haven't, Twitter shares closed higher by more than 22% yesterday after Elon Musk reversed course again and is once again proposing to buy Twitter for $54.20 a share. Sources tell CNBC that a deal could happen as soon as Friday. If you don't remember, we'll catch up to speed really quickly. Twitter had sued Musk over his attempt to back out of the deal that he agreed to back in April. That trial was scheduled to begin in Delaware on October 17th, and maybe more importantly, he was set to be deposed later this week. The Twitter people have all been deposed at this point. There have been some embarrassing releases of his, um, his texts back and forth with fellow billionaires like Larry Ellison and some other people that were out there. Um, and his lawyers were probably telling him this did not look like a case he was going to win. So he's coming back and saying this. I think at, at Twitter they're probably thinking, show me the money. Show me what's actually happening with this. But the deal could go through as quickly as this week. Um, and boy, this has been a drama and a saga. It's been damaged, but he saw something there originally that yeah. uh, and now I think he's back to, uh, he's so, uh, he, I mean, he's mercurial and interesting and uh, inspiring in a lot of ways. Because at this point, he's like, look, all right, it's way too Fine. much. It's way too much money. Uh, I'm the richest guy in the world. And with what I'm going to do, I'm going to double what I have right now in a couple of years. So I'll buy this thing. And I'm going to, my original intention was to make it a fair public forum, a, pa- a fair town square, instead of what it is now, where if you even... Your body language looks like you might be saying something that the, the, the woke Twitter crowd doesn't like. They'll, they'll block you. Okay. So good. He, he has Bring much it back. bigger plans, at least according to what he was tweeting yesterday. He, I think he's looking at this as a super app, the beginning Should of a super be. app. Yeah, could be. He's one of the founders of PayPal. If you combine some sort of payment mechanism along with video, along with the social media aspect that Twitter already is, uh, I think maybe that's what he's looking at. Right. But again, uh, you're talking about some pressure that's going to come on this stock very quickly. You see Carl Icahn? 
had put $500 million into this, basically an arbitrage play. Dan Loeb from Third Point, DE Shaw Group, the, icon, uh, the Wall Street Journal lays out yeah. all of the investors who are ba basically looking at this and saying, we're going to arbitrage this play because he's going to get forced to buy it. Exactly. From the, the those people are not going to necessarily and stick Chancery, around. Right. And so you could see some immediate pressure on the stock if I mean, some of these things come. I, I, you, I, it's not going away, and I'm really bullish on, on Twitter's future, unfortunately, but I don't know, what, I don't know if they ever make any money. Uh, that's the thing. But, I mean, it is sort of an essential, out of all the social media, um, you know, I could do without Facebook. I don't care about other people's vacations. Um, Instagram, I don't know. But this is used. This is utilitarian. We use it for a, it a, a news. news flow. So I, I, but I don't know how you monetize it, whether you ever can. And you saw that, I mean, revenue growth went from 16%, it's 1% now, so it, it hasn't he, Look, it's, it's gotten more battered over the course of the, of the last many months that he's been trying to get out of this deal. So he's beaten up the property that he's now going to take control of. And the big question, just based on what you said with the monetization and how you do it, what the growth numbers have come to, now Morgan Stanley and others have to go out and sell these bonds, yeah. the debt, for what they have done for the securitization on some of these things. And if you're talking about triple C bonds, what's that mean? You're going to yield 16% or something? Or 15% on some of these things? I'm also uh, filled with epicaricacy, <laughs> uh, which is the, the English word for schadenfreude. Right, right. For all the, the snowflakes out there. They were like, Elon Musk, oh no, I'm going to quit. Where are they going to go? Now, and then he wasn't going to come, so they're all, they were all happy. Oh, good. He's not going to quit. We can keep doing what we're doing. Now he's coming back. All that, how many of them are out there going, no, no, I got to get to a safe space. Elon Musk is coming back. So I, I am filled with schadenfreude. CNBC's Arjun Karpal joins us now with the story of how the Chinese super apps may have played a part in the equation. Uh, Arjun, um, we have not mentioned this uh, yet, so I'm looking forward to it. Good morning. Good morning, Joe. Well, look, if we look at, uh, we've been trying to figure out what Elon Musk is going to do with Twitter if this deal closes, and perhaps a tweet from just a few hours ago from the billionaire himself may give us uh, some clues. He said that the purchase of Twitter will be an accelerant to creating X, the everything app. Now, when I heard the everything app, it reminded me of my time in China and the super apps were there, and in particular, uh, thinking about WeChat. And just for our viewers who, who aren't aware of what WeChat is or how it works, it's a messaging app effectively owned by Chinese tech giant Tencent has got 1.29 billion users. And I can't stress enough how ubiquitous this is in the daily lives of Chinese citizens. You can do everything in it. Messaging, payments, e-commerce, uh, ordering food, ordering taxis, booking flights, gaming. No need to download all these disparate apps as well. And the Chinese use it every single day. Uh, and one thing we know is Elon Musk has expressed uh, admiration for WeChat. Earlier this year in the town hall with Twitter employees, he called WeChat a, a great app. He mentioned that there wasn't a WeChat equivalent outside of China and buying Twitter could be a real opportunity uh, to create uh, an app that resembles WeChat. Elon Musk in that same town hall hinted at potential features that could be in his version of Twitter, including payments. Now, this is a key part of the WeChat offering in China as well. One difference, of course, WeChat heavily censored in China, something that is unlikely to happen with Elon Musk's version of Twitter, given his views on free speech. But one thing I would mention is there are a number of challenges with this. Firstly, we haven't seen super apps of this kind take off in the US or Europe or other Western markets. The culture of app usage is very different. The nature of the tech space is 
is very different as well. For example, JD.com in China is, part, is integrated with the WeChat messaging app. It would be unlikely you'd see something like an Amazon integrated in Twitter. So that's a big question mark as well. Also, regulatory concerns. When you start talking about payments and financial services within these apps, that comes with a regulatory burden as well. So that's a key point, part of this story. But clearly, uh, Elon Musk feeling some sort of inspiration here from WeChat and Tencent over in China, hoping to replicate that to reach his desire of a billion users using Twitter if this acquisition does close, guys. Uh, thank you, Arjun. And I'm glad you, know, you said that for viewers that might not know exactly um, you know, what WeChat is. In, in, but, but, but I was listening very closely. And what I don't really get, Arjun, is why hasn't we could do that? Why haven't we? And someone could. So are there, what are the cultural, uh, why doesn't it happen? Why hasn't it happened in, in the West? And it, it's been so widely adopted in China. Yeah, I think when you look at the Chinese tech landscape, that has a big part to do with it. You've got these giants, Tencent, Alibaba, uh, Baidu. These companies are the ones that are controlling a lot of these super apps. So with Tencent, not only does it control WeChat, which became a ubiquitous messaging app, but it developed its own payment service, but also invested in other companies. So, for example, I mentioned JD.com, the second largest e-commerce player in China. Uh, Tencent was a direct investee in JD.com, and so that integration was able to happen. It's also purchased, acquired and has stakes in many other companies that operate on its WeChat platform. So yeah. that's one of the reasons it's very different. Whereas when you think about Twitter uh, and Amazon and Facebook and Apple, they're all competing with each other, which makes it very difficult to create yeah. this kind of, of synergies and, between these different and apps. And Elon's earlier PayPal. I mean, he, that's right. what I said earlier this morning. He founded but PayPal. PayPal right? And that's one of the things that look, we also have more competitive laws in this country. Would it work without everybody. censorship? Arjun, is that part of the, I mean, do you need, do you need that chance? They're much more comfortable with a lot of, of uh, central government oversight. So uh, China, obviously the CCP, but if there was no censorship, would, would it work? Of course, Twitter has censorship. It, it, it'd work. If there was no censorship, it, it'd certainly work. Of course, when you look at, again, the Chinese internet landscape, it is uh, heavily censored uh, from the central government. There's also self-censorship from a lot of those companies. Of course, uh, you know, a lot of users on the platform in, in, in U.S. market, in Europe, we're not used to that level of censorship on these platforms. So I think it would work. That's something that would be part of the appeal of any kind of Elon Musk platform. Uh, but, but as you mentioned, that competitive landscape is very different in our markets compared to China, which may be quite a large barrier to creating some sort of WeChat-like service uh, in the U.S. or elsewhere. Arjun, thanks. Good to bring us that side of the story. Learn something every day. Anyway, thank you. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, we're diving deeper into this Twitter story. Some background on this long and winding road and what could have possibly changed Elon Musk's mind. The insider intel from Musk biographer Walter Isaacson. I think in the future, what he would love to do with Twitter is what he started to do many years ago when he was very young in the 1990s when he created X.com. Plus, Elon Musk has finally agreed to buy Twitter, but can he? Our own Robert Frank. Look, he has the wealth, but does he have the money to do this deal? The tweet storm continues right after this. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. 
From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. As you heard a few minutes ago, Elon Musk's deal to buy Twitter is back on. It's been a long and sort of confusing road, so I'm going to recap the highlights of this social media soap opera. Now, Musk flirted with the idea of buying Twitter as far back as 2017, but it all started in earnest this April when Musk revealed his huge, a full 9% stake in Twitter, but said it would be passive. And then he secured a board seat. But then Musk changed his mind and said his giant stake would be active, after which the Twitter board also changed its mind and said Musk was no longer on the board. And then Musk made an offer to buy the whole thing. He even threatened to sell that huge 9% stake if the Twitter board turned him down. A few hours later, Musk joined a TED conference. So, Elon, um, a few hours ago, you made an offer to buy Twitter. (laughs) How'd you know? (laughs) The Twitter board was changing its own policies to thwart Musk's advances after a lot of debate in that C-suite and after a lot of the media's hemming and hawing over whether he'd actually be able to buy it, which, as you'll hear, is still sort of a concern, Twitter accepted Musk's deal to buy the company and to take it private. But then Musk started raising flags about the platform's fake accounts. Remember that whole bot thing from May? Well, a couple months later, Musk decided to renege on his offer altogether, which then prompted a lawsuit against him from Twitter. A judge subsequently agreed to fast-track the trial, scheduling it for mid-October. So at this point in the timeline, we're in mid-July. But fast forward to now, just about 10 days before the scheduled trial, and Elon has backed out of his efforts to back out of the deal. So it's back on for the same offer he'd originally pitched back in April. A lot of questions still remain, though. Here's Joe with our wealth reporter, Robert Frank. Robert Frank, you know how we get those obits ready uh, when we know it's close and we have it all ready? Did you have the one written for Elon Musk comes back to buy Twitter? Did you? uh, I guess maybe we should have because it was not going his way, was it? Yeah, no, you know, I've been following these numbers for a while, and it's, it's been clear all along, look, he has the wealth, but does he have the money to do this deal? Remember, he agreed to provide $33 billion in equity for this deal. The question is how he's going to pay for that and whether he has to sell more Tesla stock to get there. Now, this year, he sold $15.5 billion of Tesla stock. First in April when he tweeted no further sales planned after today. And then again in August, he's getting $7 billion in VC investments from Larry Ellison, Mark Andreessen in Saudi Arabia. He's got the $4 billion in Twitter that he already owns. So that's a $4 billion stake that probably counts as part of this. Now, assuming that is included, he has 
right now 27 billion of the 33 billion he needs. So that's 6 billion short. A UBS report yesterday say he may have to pay taxes on that August sale and he may have $4 billion left over from last year's sales. If both of that is the case, and depending on how Twitter that Twitter stake is counted, UBS says he may need to raise $6 billion minimum. And if that is subject to taxes, if he sells Tesla stock, that means he would have to sell about $10 billion of Tesla shares or about 40 million shares to pay that. I suspect he's done selling after saying in April I'm done and then selling again in August, but it's still a little unclear where that extra $6 billion is gonna come from, guys. Yeah, the, uh, but we talked about that actually, uh, Robert. It's like, I know I'm overpaying, but don't you think Elon Musk is bullish on Elon Musk? I, I, I don't think he's, you know, he probably thinks I'm gonna have twice as much in the future, I can buy this. It's kind of a, you know, more than I wanted to pay. And it was a good idea because I'd like it to be an objective town hall forum for, and, and it's invaluable in that regard. And now he has to. So I think he's sort of just, you know, come to grips with that. Now he's gonna make the best of it and probably turn it into, into something great. Look, I'm sure he's bullish on Elon Musk. The question is whether debt investors are bullish too. Cause remember, yeah, exactly. as Becky mentioned earlier, you've got that $13 billion leveraged loan facility, $3 billion of that is unsecured. They're going to have to get at least 12 or 15% on that just to get investors to look at it. So that's going to be expensive. And those banks are committed. All right, Robert. Joining us right now with a look at what may have changed Musk's mind is Musk biographer Walter Isaacson, who is a professor at Tulane University, a partner at Perilla Weinberg and a CNBC contributor. And, and Walter, um, Look, the knee-jerk reaction was he did this because he didn't want to get deposed on Friday, and, and his lawyers told him that he very likely was going to lose in court. Is that what changed his mind? I would think the second is more important. He's got very smart lawyers. I'm sure he told them, uh, they told him what the chances were. Not that, you know, you would definitely lose, but uh, I think Elon Musk is somebody who does uh, the numbers and the risk analysis very well, and there was probably 80, 90 percent chance he was going to lose in Delaware Chancery Court. So why go through that? Uh, there's part of him that really knows how to make Twitter into an amazing product. So he gets up many mornings and just thinks about how great it would be to have. Uh, I think he thinks the price is unfair now, but that wasn't worth going through the court fight, apparently. What does he do next? He's given us little hints here and there, but what's your best guess with Twitter? Well, I think in the future, what he would love to do with Twitter is what he started to do many years ago when he was very young in the 1990s when he created X.com. And he said that this morning in his tweet, and he's been talking about it. X.com was a payment system. It evolved into what is now PayPal. Uh, his friend and enemy, Peter Thiel, uh, eased him out of being uh, the CEO of PayPal. But Musk's vision of PayPal was a little bit, Arjun talked about it earlier in your show, like WeChat, which is a social network on which you do all of your payments, in which people create content, in which it serves as your real financial system. You don't have to write checks or anything else. And so I think he could create, as he certainly knows how to do, a social network out of Twitter that compensates content. In other words, whether you're a newspaper or whatever, you don't have all these paywalls and subscriptions. Uh, people who come to you through Twitter pay you a small amount. Likewise, if you're a content creator like on TikTok or YouTube, 
You get a little bit of payments for that. And I think he's got a really great vision for what Twitter can be. Is he the one who executes that vision? Does he find other people to do it for him? Because as you know, genius as he is, there, there are a limited number of hours in the day, and he's got a lot of other big projects that he really cares about, everything from SpaceX to uh, Tesla and beyond. Yeah, I think that's the uh, billion-dollar question, which is he is not perfect at delegating and letting other people run things hands-off. He is always the chief engineer and the chief product officer. So yes, there'll be people who will manage the business. Uh, he has incredibly good people, both at SpaceX, like uh, um, uh, Gwen Shotwell and Mark Jankosa, or at Tesla, like Drew Baglino and, and uh, Lars Maravi. These are people who can help him run the business. But he is every day at meetings about products at SpaceX, Boring Company, Neuralink, and Tesla. And I don't quite know how he's going to add more hours to the day because I know he's not going to take a hands-off approach if he ends up running Twitter. So what's his least favorite of all his favorite projects, if that's the case? If, if you're an investor in one of these other projects, which, which one has to watch out? You know, he's got, as you know, many children and he loves them all and he uh, doesn't sort of pick and choose. I think there are times when he focuses serially on different things. There was a time when I was with him last year where he was absolutely obsessed by solar roof. I climbed up on at least twice at late at night, roofs of small houses in Boca Chica, Texas, ripping off tiles and putting on solar roofs. He is now focusing on other things. I suspect he'll go back to focusing on solar roofs. So he's able to, I won't say multitask, but he's able to do multiple tasks in a given day and this will just be another one, but I think that's something he thinks about, which is, you know, how much will this take my mind off the mission, say, of getting to Mars? Twitter or getting to Mars, it's just amazing. Uh, this guy is, yeah, you, you should definitely, if you did uh, Da Vinci, you should definitely do Elon Musk, because they're, they're <laughs> like cut, cut from the same cloth. When you've talked to him- That's what Leonardo da Vinci told me, yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, you got to channel that. I, I think that might be possible at some point. Uh, time goes both ways, uh, Walter, yes, supposedly. Exactly. Um, so said Einstein. Yeah, yeah, another guy that, that, uh, that you, you profiled. When you have talked about Elon, uh, Twitter with Elon, why did he want it? And it wasn't about money. It was about, does he want to do it for, for all of us? Is that, is that it? He wants to make it something that, that's just better for all of us? I think it was rather impulsive. He had a lot of money from having cashed in options that he had to cash in at the end of last year. And he said, what product is a product that I use all the time that I would love to be invested in? I don't think he started this process by saying, I want to own Twitter and change it. He started by investing in it at the beginning of this year. He started saying, okay, it's something I like. Uh, for a short while, decided he'd take a board seat. And then he decided if he really was going to do it, he needed to be all in. I think he had at first a vision of let's open the aperture to more free speech. I don't think he had thought that through quite as much as some of the other things, but he felt that it was being too narrowly focused, kicking people off uh, for saying things. Now I think he's more focused on the algorithm that, does, you know, allow people free speech, 
but avoid algorithms that cause hatred and misinformation to spread as rapidly. That's really the insidious force behind some of the social media. And then, of course, as uh, Arjun and I said on this show, he saw it as a way to do what they're doing in China and other places, which is have social media that uh, has content and payment systems. And as Andrew uh, pointed out in his indispensable deal book letter this morning, you know, he's also got to figure out to how to hold the financing together. That's the next big question. What, what, what happens with the financing? How do we see that play out? Because you're probably talking at least 13 to 15 percent uh, for the three billion dollars that, that hasn't been funded yet. Yeah, right. We have about 12 billion dollars in funding committed, I think, that I've seen. And, uh, you know, Andrew's deal book newsletter talks about Morgan Stanley, Ben Horowitz, Larry Ellison, who put in a billion dollars without really being, you know, too deep into uh, doing due diligence on it. Nobody seems to have done too much due diligence here. And that commitments were made at much lower interest rates. So if you keep the deal intact and don't change it at all, then the commitment of the lenders is at, is at interest rates that are far lower than they are now. So I think there will be some people uncomfortable about all of that, but I'm not a legal expert to know whether a potential lender that is committed to financing, uh, how uh, such a person could or would want to get out of such a deal. So the banks are gonna figure it out one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, he will excite people by his vision of what Twitter can be and if that happens, it'll all go ahead smoothly. You'll have to work it out with Twitter how the handoff is. You don't want a messy handoff here. You don't want people messing up Twitter when it's being handed off. So there are things still to negotiate. Walter, thank you. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. That does it for Squawk Pod today. Thank you for listening with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.